Houston exercise signs. I know it has been a very long time since I uploaded and I apologize for that. I'm okay and everyone's okay. Uh, COVID's been crazy so it's been kind of stopping me from uploading as regularly as I can. And so uh, I apologize for that first and foremost. And so I feel like I owe you guys some good content, some good episodes, these next few episodes. And because of that, and because I've been gone for so long, I have decided to make this next episode the start of season two of this show, the second season. So for the next few episodes, I'm going to be doing a series where I'm going to be talking about the physiology of muscle, specifically skeletal muscles, which are the ones that help us move. I'm going to get super detailed and tie in all the things we talked about in season one of this show and wrap it up into season two, the start of this second season, where we're going to wrap up lactic acid and lactate threshold stuff and types of muscle. All that's going to be in this series that I'm going to start. It's maybe two or three episodes I feel like this is going to take to cover everything about the skeletal muscle that I could possibly think of and come up with and review what I know. So that's what we're going to do in this start of the second season. But before we begin, I would like to say thank you all for the support. We have over a thousand listeners now, which I was surprised of, but I'm very thankful. We have listeners from all around the world. I'm getting a few emails from people about questions and uh, feedback about the podcast. Thank you. The people that have emailed me, you know who you are. Really appreciate those. Uh, really helps me with being motivated to continue this uh, show going on. And so that's what I'm going to make sure to do. I mean, if you're new to this show, welcome. This is very information heavy. This is just packed full of science and info. I explain as many of these big words as I can in case you're either new to science or if you're seasoned and you know what you uh, all this stuff already, just a guest review reminder for those that know this stuff already. So that's, that's all I'm going to say for the intro. I don't like sitting here rambling on, <laughs> but uh, as we usually do for this show, let's jump right into the content because... I, uh, I don't like big, long intros. Okay, so skeletal muscle. Um, this is the muscle that helps you move your body. This is the one that's attached to your bones, so it helps you move your body. Um, there's other types of muscle, the cardiac and the smooth muscle, but we're going to leave those for possibly their own separate episode or episodes. But for this one, we're going to be talking about skeletal muscle specifically. Now, the characteristics of skeletal muscle is that it is striated, meaning that they are they have a striped appearance due to sacromeres, which we'll talk about what those are later. Um, we'll circle back. But skeletal muscles are under the control of the somatic nervous system, which is also known as the voluntary nervous system, which makes sense because we can control our muscles, right? So, makes sense. Skeletal muscle contains something called multiple fascicles, which are bundles or multiple bundles of muscle fiber. Muscle fiber are formed and made and created from a fusion of myoblasts. What are myoblasts? 
A lot of big words. Well, myoblasts are a precursor muscle cell. When we're being developed and everything like that, we have myoblasts, which are exactly what they what I said. They're go going to be muscle cells. Now, this fusion is known as myogenesis. And because of this fusion of these cells, muscle cells end up multinucleated. We're going to circle back in like a few seconds on why that actually proves provides an advantage for muscle cells. So muscle fibers also have multiple mitochondria. And why is that? Well, everybody should know the phrase that the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, which is good. This is where that's going to come back into play all those times you heard that. So it creates energy, right, as you may understand that. And so a lot of those mitochondria in a muscle fiber, muscle cells, enables the, the muscle fibers to meet the energy needs that we put demands on them. When we exercise, when we're at work, things like that, a lot of these, a lot of mitochondria will enable a lot of energy to be made to keep up with what we demand from the muscle, muscle fiber and everything. Now, there's connective tissue that they're, they're called fascia that keep all of these parts of the muscle together because they can't just be loosely, just randomly around in your body, right? They have to be connected to something somehow. So enclosing each little muscle fiber is something something called the endomycium, or however, however you heard that pronounced. And each muscle fascicle, which is multiple muscle fibers, is enclosed in paramycium, and each muscle as a whole is enclosed and wrapped around in something called an epimycine. Now, this is a lot of information already. We are, what, six minutes into it, a little over. Um, you can pause it if you want, <laughs> if this is a lot of information. This is a lot of basic stuff, but that's, I mean, it's basic for me. So I'm trying not to go too fast, but... Um, I try to keep these episodes short for the new people here. They're usually like 20-minute episodes, so that way it's not a ton of information for like an hour long. Um, anyways, let's move on uh, to the next thing about muscle, which is the sensory receptors. Now, I mentioned this before in a previous episode, and for those that are new, you'll this will be interesting. For those that have already heard of this, this is a little review, but I'm going to say it here so that everything is in one topic. So a sensory receptor are exactly that. They sense certain things that happen in your muscle. And one of them is called the muscle spindle, which detects stretching. Anytime you do stretching, either intentionally or unintentionally, that, that sensation that we describe as stretching is being sensed by muscle spindles. The next sensory receptor is the Golgi tendon organ, which are proprioceptors. Now what are proprioceptors? That's something that can that can tell you where your body is in relation to to space. So if you close your eyes and make your arm bend your arm into a right angle, you can kind of feel where that is 
even though your eyes are closed. Or if you put your hand behind your back, you know it's behind your back even though you can't see it because of these Golgi tendon organs. They actually will tell you where your body is um, in relation to itself or space. Uh, so it's pretty cool. So we're, we're circling back to those muscle cells being multi multinucleated. And so the, re the advantage is that many nuclei are needed because a large of amount of protein and enzymes are needed to uh, for the cell's normal function. And so a lot of nuclei are advantageous in that. Now, to give you guys a little example of how many nuclei are you talking about, I'm talking about if we take uh, a muscle fiber from your bicep, let's say, or even your tricep, like a 10 centimeter long, eight centimeter long piece from a muscle like that, that little piece can contain as much as 3,000 nuclei. So that gives you an idea of, yeah, it's super multinucleated if, if you ever think of that. And the nuclei of a muscle cell looks elongated compared to kind of more roundish in a typical cell. And they're located close to the sarcolemma, which is basically the cell membrane of a muscle cell, just a different name. And the cell membrane is like the outer border of a cell. And <clears throat> that's just a little information how it's not just always in the center. Now, I'm not too sure why that is along the outsides. Uh, it could be just that's just how it was formed during that fusion phase, just happens to be, oh, it's on the sides. Uh, I'm not too sure, but um, that's where they're located. Now, there's satellite cells, and they're located in the muscle, and they help with muscle growth or repair. So you tear muscle fibers, and they're repairing and regrowing. These satellite cells are doing some of that work, which is pretty interesting when you're exercising and you wonder, you know, is it's not just random. There's an actual cell that has been programmed to do the recovery work. Now, we're halfway through, and I'm going to move on to a big topic, which I think is really interesting. To me, it's just pretty interesting, um, just because I, I, always, I always found it fascinating, <laughs> which is muscle architecture. Muscle architecture refers to the arrangement of these muscle fibers re relative to the axis of force generation, which is pretty much exactly what it pretty much sounds like, the axis or the force generation. This is the, the line that the force of the, mu the muscle producing this force is. There's, there's a line or like an imaginary line that's happening. Let's take, for example, the bicep brachii. When you do a bicep curl, there's like a imaginary line your arm is going up and down vertically so that the muscle fibers actually run parallel to that imaginary line that the dumbbell or your hand is going up and down um, a straight line up and down which we're going to talk about in a second because there are different names for these muscle architectures and the reason why there's names is because science that's why um, they got to name everything so how else are you going to get these textbook textbooks to be like 2,000 pages? So 
the first um, the first one we're going to be talking about is the uh, well. So there's parallel or pennant muscles, but we're going to be talking about parallel muscle first, which actually can be further divided into fusiform, strap, and convergent muscles. All of those are under the category of parallel muscle. So parallel muscle are those that have their fibers run parallel to the force-generating axis, axis or direction, just like I said. Right, so they run parallel to that imaginary line that your body is moving up and down or side to side. So the first one we're going to be talking about is the strap muscle, which is shaped like a strap or a belt, which makes sense actually for once. Strap, strap. So it's appropriately named. So these muscles have broad attachments, long attachments. They cover a lot of ground. For an example of this kind of muscle is the sartorius muscle found in the upper leg. It actually goes from your hip to your knee kind of wraps around it, it uh, like, a, like a strap. <laughs> and it's the longest muscle in your body. And so that's what strap muscles are, that architecture. The next type of parallel muscle is the fusiform muscle. And these are wide and cylindrically shaped muscle. And they are shaped wider in the center and they taper off on either ends of the muscle. And the line of action of this muscle runs a straight line between these uh, attachment points, the origin and insertion, just a straight old line. And because of the shape of this muscle, the force is produced in a concentrated small area. An example, a famous example of this, is the bicep brachii. And for new people out there, we say brachii after bicep every time because there's actually a, another bicep in your body, the bicep femoris, which is located in your hamstring. So there's actually a reason we keep on saying bicep brachii and because the brachial region is the upper arm. So <clears throat> that's a little naming info for, for people that may not know that in the fitness industry. Um, <laughs> And so the last type of parallel muscle that we're going to be talking about is the convergent muscle, which looks like a triangle or a fan-shaped muscle. And a famous example of this is the pectoralis major. And they're considered versatile muscle because they can change the direction of pull depending on how it's contracting. And there's a lot of different ways to work the, the pec in a lot of different exercises that hit the upper, mid, lower, all those. And so that, that makes sense because it's a very wide fan-shaped muscle and it can pull in different ways not just one um, one direction so we're gonna move on to the pennant muscle and the pennant muscle are different from the parallel muscle in that the fibers run at an angle to that force generating axis that line that your body goes through the force produced by pennant muscle is usually greater than that of parallel muscle, usually especially pound for pound if we're looking at size versus size. These things usually typically create more force than the other type of architecture.
Okay. So, <clears throat> of course, as usual, pennant muscles are further divided into three different kinds. The unipennant, bipennant, or multipennant muscle. Because that textbook's got to be big. Um, <laughs> so, let's move to the unipennant muscle. And the unipennant muscle has the muscle fibers that are at only one angle of the force axis, and they're all on one side of a tendon. The pictures I've seen in class when I was getting my bachelor's looks like half of a leaf from a tree. If you, if you see that center vein that it has, which is folded in half, and that one half is typically what it kind of looks like in the pictures that they showed us. And so the most famous example of this kind of unipennant muscle is the lateral gastrocnemius, or the outside portion of the calf muscle, which is a very powerful muscle. Some say the gastrocnemius is one of the most powerful muscle, but we will get to that in probably another episode about most powerful muscles. Tons of answers to that question. I get asked that sometimes by my family. What's the strongest muscle in the body? And there are multiple answers, actually, because it depends on how you define powerful. But we're, we'll get to that in probably next episode. Anyways, let's keep going on all these different kind of architectures. So the second one is the bipennant muscle. They're the same as the unipennant, except the fibers are on both sides of the tendon. So think of the full leaf uh, off a tree. Um, a famous example of this is the rectus femoris of the quadricep muscle group. And as we know, the quads are very powerful muscle. Even, even though this is only one of the four, they're all working together and they create a lot of force. Right. The last architecture is the multi-pennant muscle. They have fibers that orientate at multiple angles along that force-generating axis. Um, and there's kind of like multiple layered leaves in a way, is what I think it looks like. And, or like three leaves fused into one big one kind of thing. I don't know, it's hard to describe without visuals, but anyways... That's kind of how it looks like. An example of this is the delt, or the shoulder muscle, which, as some may know, you have the anterior, medial, and posterior uh, portions of the deltoid. You have three different portions of that. And so there, it's multi-pennant because of that. Um, how much we're doing good on time. Well, actually, since we're almost done, I'm going to talk about what we're going to do next next episode where we're going to be talking about fiber types, muscle fiber types. You probably have heard of slow twitch and fast twitch muscles. You may have heard of red muscle or white muscle. You may have heard of uh, uh, type 1, type 2A, and type 2B, some people say, or type 2X, I've heard um, as well. So I'll, I'll just choose one next episode and stick with what that extra type is. But... Uh, a, a quick rundown of what you're going to learn is that type 1 is slow slow twitch muscle as or muscle that can go have a high endurance 
and a high resistance to fatigue. So when you're a marathon runner or a distance runner, which I'm currently actually training for, you're going to be using that kind of fiber type. The type twos are fast twitch, and that's for speed and power when you're lifting. So that's a little rundown of that. We're going to be talking about the sarcomere a lot more, like I promised, and we're going to be talking about the myosin and actin and the Z lines. If anybody knows their anatomy, you know what which direction I'm going with that. That's very, very detailed on when you want to contract a muscle, what's actually happening under the like microscopic level, you know, cellular uh, organelle level, pretty small level of, of detail. So that's one of the things we're going to do. I'm going to stop here because I felt like I went through 20 topics in 20 minutes, which is great. But this is definitely going to be a little bit more than I'm going to be doing. Like we're going to be going through the rest of the muscle, uh, circling back to muscle programming. I knew I know I have some people emailing me about that, which is great. And yeah, that's pretty much it. But I'm going to be yeah, I'm going to stop the episode here. Thank you guys for listening. Send me emails if you are if you have questions or you want me to go over a different topic that you are curious about. Um, email me at HoustonExerciseScience at gmail.com. That's all one word. You can email me. I check it every day, especially now. I've missed people's emails. Apologize for those that it's been weeks since I responded. Um, I'm going to check them every day now, and I'm going to upload this series definitely once a week uh, because this is definitely going to be, to me, pretty interesting. Hopefully you guys like the physiology of it all. But anyways, that's all I'm going to say for that, and I will see you guys on the next one. Um, Yeah, have a good day. Bye.